Well, if you do have that Bible or your app, go to Daniel chapter 8. We're going to all be confused together. Um, those of you laughed who actually read it. <laughs> those who have not, welcome to church. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you've given us another day. You've given us, Lord willing, another week to serve you and to follow you. And God, we want to read what you have said and understand what you're saying so that we could live into your way and be obedient. Lord, help us to not just be hearers of what's right and true, but to actually put it into practice and honor you by doing that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Okay, Daniel 8, we're going to read in a minute, but let me just tell you what you already know, but probably don't think about. Um, there are things going on in this room that you can't see. They're very real. You just don't see it. Let's talk obvious. Air. There's air. Until that little um, blower kicks on, you won't hear it. You know, you, you get that. There's air flowing everywhere, and in that air are all sorts of things you don't even think about. There's moisture here, not raindrops, but there's moisture in the air even though you, you don't see it. There's dust flying all over the place. Germaphobes, you know this. You know, like you, there's dust, dead skins going. Your neighbor's dead skins going over to you and back and forth. All this stuff is going on in the air. There are small organisms that are alive floating through the air right now. Lysol, people. Um, no, it's crazy though. We don't think about it. We don't think about it until, right, uh, rain. Okay, that's I feel it through the air. Or wind, and you get pushed, or you feel something come against you. You don't, you don't know it's there until you get a sense, a feeling, but it's always there. Okay, what's my point? There are things going on that are unseen that are very real right now. And when we look at Daniel 8, we're going to see that there are, in life, there are unseen forces at play that you're not thinking about, that I'm not thinking about. And unfortunately, in the world that we live in, we've been told, if I don't see it, if I don't feel it, I don't have experience it, if I can't put it under a microscope, it's not real. And I'm here to say not true. Amen. Not true. There are real powers at work. Now, if you don't believe that, we say, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, God is at work, and he's unseen, right? God is at work in this room. God is at work in this world, and you don't necessarily see it, taste it, touch it. And there are unseen powers that are against God at work, whether you believe it or not. Now, we're in a series called Daniel, Living Faithful in a Broken World, and we want to look. We get a window, a little graphic glimpse into unseen in chapters 8, 9, and 10. So we're going to look at just chapter 8. Uh, remember, if you're new to the series or reading this, this is not ordinary writing. This is what is called apocalyptic literature or revelation kind of literature. So it's overly graphic and it's heavily visual for a reason. Okay, Daniel 8, verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. Remember, last week was chapter 7, there was a vision. And in my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. So that's a real place. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. So this is actually a real place. But he, he's not there, but he sees himself there. Uh, remember from Daniel 7, if you read it, Sometimes he has a dream, other time he has a vision. One time he's asleep, another time he's awake. Uh, just a gentle reminder, God speaks to us in all sorts of ways. Sometimes we're very aware, sometimes you're listening 
to a podcast or a song and you get a sense of God saying something. Other times you wake up and you realize, wow, I, I wonder, was that, man, could that have been more than just a dream? Point is, Daniel gets to hear from God in all sorts of ways. Now the setting here is important. He says in the third year of Belshazzar's reign, we think of everything in an order and in Daniel chapters one, two, three, four, five, six, you get Daniel's life. Here's the weird part. This vision of chapter eight is actually happening before Daniel five. Chapters one through four about Nebuchadnezzar and then in chapter five of Daniel, you hear about King Belshazzar. So this vision that you're seeing in chapter eight it happened when Belshazzar was leading. Chapter 5 gives us the end of Belshazzar's reign. That may, not seem, may seem confusing, but here's what I want you to see in the setting. Early on with this new leader, God speaks to Daniel. Now, we know from Daniel 5 what happens in the end. God's word comes to pass. I'm getting ahead of myself. What we need to see is Babylon is in decline. Nebuchadnezzar has died. He grew the kingdom. Now Belshazzar is leading. And there are other forces at work around the kingdom of Babylon that are rising up. It's politically tumultuous. It's like today where we see what, what's going on in the world in Europe or in Africa or in Asia. There's tension. Well, that's what's happening. In the middle of that, God gives a vision. There's trouble on the horizon. All right, verse 3. Let's look at the trouble. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing together beside the canal. And the horns were long. And one of the horns was longer than the other, but grew, the other grew up later. And I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased, and it became great. So we got a great, like, trotting ram. Yeah, okay. So far, so good. We get, we're all together? No, we're not. All right. As I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about this ram, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. Okay, that's strange. And it came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it with great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram, shattering its two horns, and the ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. That's crystal clear, right? Okay, what's, what's going on here? Remember, if you're new to the Bible, there, this section called apocalyptic is filled with all sorts of imagery. Now, every part of the Bible, hear me, every part of the Bible is valuable. And here's why we're doing this. Most would just do Daniel 1 through 6 and skip to something else. But I wanted to walk through this slowly to remind us every word of God is flawless. Every word. Now, not every word is as obvious, okay? So what we want to do as followers of Jesus, here's the tip. We we take the simpler things to understand and let's apply them. And then let's grow to work at finding out the things that are not as easy. Some parts are just harder. It doesn't mean they're not accessible. So I'm going to explain Daniel 8, but I just, I just want you to know this isn't a throwaway. 
And the only reason it's going to seem easy to me to explain this is because I've thought about it all week long, okay? I read. And if you're really interested, I could tell you exactly what I read, and you could come to the same conclusions yourself if you wanted to take the time. Now, you may not have that time. That's totally cool. That's why we come together and we share. But I want to demystify this whole idea that you have to have a degree in theology to grow in the Bible. We just need to read it and then learn the art of hearing what others who studied well, what they've come to see, and analyze it and pray, and the Holy Spirit will give us guidance. You can do this yourself. And again, literally, if you want to know exactly what I read, I can send you my document, and it will tell you exactly what I'm going to tell you now, all right? Um, Verse 9. So we'll get back to this whole graphic. I just want to keep reading. Out of them... Uh, came another horn, which started small, but it grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the, uppercase here, beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heaven and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice of the Lord and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the sacrifice, daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Again, graphic imagery, uh, symbols here that we can look at and explain. All I want us to see is the scene changed. There was a subtle thing in here. First, you got an, a ram and a goat clashing But now what you have here is something that's connecting with the starry host. This battle is not just two animals, so to speak, two earthly things. Now the battle is, it's it's like the battling the army of the Lord and these things in the heavens are cast down. There's all sorts of disruption, not just eye to eye, but between what's seen and what's unseen. I'm sounding mysterious. I'll get back to it, all right? Hang in there. Verse 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, how long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. And he said to me, this is like the holy one, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be re-consecrated or put back together again. Okay, wow. Now this is mysterious. That's how apocalyptic works. It's just like we said early on when we read this section, some parts of the Bible, they seem more like reading a biography. It's really simple. You read the life of the person, you apply it. Some parts of the Bible seem like reading a cookbook. That is, there are lists of things. In order to get this, you do these things. There are parts of the Bible that are like that, and there are other parts of the Bible that seem more like a comic book. Not untrue, but like a graphic novel. The story is told in in visual, dynamic ways. So what do we do? What makes something apocalyptic? I'll throw it on the screen again, because some are, this is your first week, and you're like, what's going on? Others, we haven't been thinking about this this week. Seven things that make up apocalyptic. Mystery, that's the whole chapter. It's all mysterious, right? Symbols and images. Here, notice what we saw. A goat, ram, horns, stars. Cryptic numbers, this 2,300 evenings and mornings. Angels, notice twice it said, the holy one said to the holy one. 
There's future trouble and salvation. Remember, something pulled down and stomped on the starry host. But in the end, the last verse we read, the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. There's a battle, there's destruction, but then in the end, this group is rescued. There's a cosmic conflict. You see that all throughout. There's, there's this goat and ram. There's this, this battle going on and then the Son of Man. All that to say, this is just consistent with anything in Revelation or other apocalyptic work. The question is, what does this mean? Now, not every time, but sometimes you get in the vision what it means. Look, look at verse 15. This is going to help us. While I, I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there stood before me one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. So someone who knows what's going on says to Gabriel, tell him about it. Verse 17, as he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified. Duh. And I fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand what the vision concerns, uh, that the vision concerns the time of the end. So Daniel, what we think here is an angel, or an angel is just a messenger. Some messenger from God gives him what he needs to know. Now he says, son of man. Uh, last week we talked about the son of man and Jesus. Jesus said he is the son of man. But remember, the word just means human. So sometimes the Son of Man is pointing to a future one. Here it's just saying, human, Daniel, human. He's not speaking of Jesus. Verse 18, while he was speaking to me, I was in a, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. And he said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. Twice here he talks about the end, the end. Now what is the end here? And this is where there's going to be various opinions on what he's referring to. Um, is the end the end of time? Is he saying to Daniel, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen at the end of all time? I don't think that's what he's saying here, and I'm going to explain why, because if you keep reading, I think there are hints. I think what, what God is saying is there's an end of a season of these kings... Remember, Daniel is a political leader. He's an appointed manager over a real kingdom. And like you and me, he's trying to work his job, have his family life, and figure out, God, if you're real and you're alive and you're at work, why is the world so chaotic? What are you going to do? And I think that God gives him a hint. Hey, Daniel, don't you worry. You're working in these political kingdoms. But I'm going to bring all of this chaos to an end. I think he's leaning towards a few hundred years, not the end of the world, but the end of a few hundred years. Why do I think that? Not everyone has that opinion. I think this. Hear me. I could be wrong, absolutely wrong, slightly wrong, or dead on right. I don't know. This is what I think is happening. And the reason I say that hopefully with a little bit of humility, is in the church, there are going to be, when it comes to apocalyptic graphic stuff, various understandings. And you know, some churches split over this kind of stuff. We're not that kind of church. 
So there may be various degrees. When I say these things, you're like, wait a minute, that's not what I was taught at my last church. Or no, I saw this movie or I read this book or I listened to this podcast. And he's saying that this has to do with the end of the age, like right now. And I, I don't think that's what's happening here. And I'm humble enough, hopefully, to say, this is what I think. You study, you look. And when we find points of disagreement, we put it on the scale of importance. Jesus is Lord. Do you agree with that? Okay, so then we're brothers and sisters, and we can wrestle with the stuff, smile, and have a latte, okay? This is not stuff we fight about, and if we pop a vein over this stuff, something is wrong with our heart. Something's wrong with our heart. Because these are visions that even Daniel says, I don't get it. All right, all that. Verse 20, the two-horned ram that you saw, now it gives them the the meaning. The two-horned ram that you saw represents... And then he gives a real phrase here. The kings of Media and Persia. Just pause for a second. Daniel 8 is referring back to Daniel 5. When he gives this vision, Media and Persia are outside empires. He serves Babylon. In other words, he gives him in this vision what is about to happen. If you read chapter 5 again, at the end of chapter 5, Media and Persia come and take over Babylon. So he gives Daniel like an insight to what's about to happen within a few years. Now, verse 21, the shaggy goat is the king of Greece, which is a distant empire at this point. And the large horn between its eyes is the first king. So the first king of Greece. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent the four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. So you see in succession, Media and Persia, Greece, and then Greece gets split up into four powers. In the latter part of their reign, when the rebels have become completely wicked, the fierce, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. Media, Persia, Greece, Greece into four. Then out of these four, one leader is going to rise up. And look at verse 24. He will become very strong, but not in his own power. That's interesting. He will cause astounding devastation. It will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. So this king is going to rise up against God's people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. So this, this king is going to rise up against what we think is God himself. Yet, he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it's for the distant future. In other words, all this isn't going to happen in your lifetime, Daniel. This is going to happen beyond you. I, Daniel, was worn out. I love his honesty. You ever have a dream you just wake up in the sweats? I mean, he's having a vision from God about the future. So he's like, he's like I, I lay exhausted for several days. But then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision because it was beyond understanding. All right, what's the prophecy about? Let's look at it. This is what I think it's saying. Most that I've read are going to agree with it. Some are going to disagree, and that's totally cool. Verse 20, look at that. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the king of Media and Persia. And as I said, 
This is exactly what happens in Daniel 5. At the end of Daniel 5, King Belshazzar has a drunken party for all of his leaders. They're totally partying. Everyone have as much wine as you want. At the same time, Media and Persia have already knocked in on the other cities of Babylon. We know from history. And right after that drunken party, he's wiped out. This happened in Daniel's lifetime. He saw this part of the vision fulfilled. Now I say, what's the point then? Let's think of Daniel in his own situation. God in his goodness gives this godly leader insight. In a few years, the world's going to turn upside down. Daniel, don't be shocked. When the world is out of control, God is in control. When your universe seems out of control, God is in control. When chaos seems to be ensuing, and we're like, God, where are you? We can learn from Daniel. God is at work. He gives Daniel insight before it happens. Notice he doesn't give everyone insight, and even the insight he gives them is vague. He doesn't get specific times and dates. He just gets a hint. So when he sees it, some writers have even suggested it could be one of the reasons King Belshazzar was throwing a drunken party. It could be that Daniel shared this vision. The Medes and the Perds are going to come and take you over. It could be. We don't know. It could be that he saw that the God who speaks through Daniel, what he says is going to come to pass. Again, we don't know, so we don't overspeculate. Verse 21. So the shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes and the, and is the first king. So what do we get from this? Now, we don't get in the Bible. In the, in the Bible record, we get Media and Persia coming in. We see it right in the text. Here, we don't get it in Scripture, but after it, Hundreds of years later, Daniel's writing in the mid-500s. We know in the early 300s B.C., ever hear the name Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great does rise up. He's that one great king. In his, in his 20s, he conquered the world. Talk about an overachiever that just makes you sick. Like, you know, in his 20s, as a military leader, he conquered and expanded the known world. And most scholars think this shaggy goat, who's the king of Greece, is referring forward to, to Alexander the Great, and who spread Greek and Roman culture throughout the whole world, which, interestingly enough, him equalizing and spreading Greek culture all throughout the whole world is going to impact even the coming of Jesus, where there's a common language and common understanding and common thought. And the good news of Jesus could spread throughout the entire world because Alexander the Great is one of those who spread the same culture and where there's an un, a common understanding, it's easier to get a message across. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. But God is at work, even in a terrible person, Alexander the Great. But he doesn't last very long. Those of you who read history, he dies at an early age. Uh, verse 22, the four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent the four kingdoms that emerged from his nation but will not have the same power. And we know that soon after Alexander's uh, death, after various power struggles, in the end, his empire is broken up into four empires, which last for a long time. And those four empires all were weaker than Alexander. Now, it, could it be coincidence? I guess. It could be coincidence. But it seems that in sequential order, the Medes and Persians, and then you have Alexander the Great, and then you have these four empires. It seems like God is laying out to Daniel what he's going to do, even though Alexander, I'm sure I didn't give credit to the Lord. Say so like, 
God's at work. There's seen and unseen powers. I'm going to pull it full circle. Some of you are like, okay, where are we going? Verse 23, just hang in there. In the latter part of his reign, of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, is going to arise. Now, we know from history, Antiochus III emerged in 175 BC, and he took the title, what a great title, Theos on, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, which means Antiochus, the illustrious God. And others refer to him as Antiochus, the madman. And we know in history, he swept through Palestine, the Holy Land. We know the reference, the beautiful land in verse 9, is a connection to Antiochus coming in and sweeping through. He destroys Jerusalem, terrible bloodshed. Antiochus is the one who stopped the morning and evening sacrifices in the temple so the Jewish people could no longer worship in the way God prescribed. That's verse 11. He committed blasphemy by taking to mock the Jews who remember in Jewish world a pig is unclean and dirty and so he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple to defy the God of heaven and instead he put a statue of Zeus right inside the temple to mock. Now, again, could this be coincidence? Yeah, so could a lot of things. But we do know that this trail of record, these visions do seem to match up, and most scholars agree, but I encourage you to read that this is probably the best reading of Daniel 8. What Daniel got in, in, in some color, goats, rams, horns, battles, but then real specific battles about how uh, God's place of worship is going to be messed with, but in the end, it's going to be reconsecrated. And that's what I want us to get. We know in history after Antiochus that later on, the temple is cleaned out and rededicated to the worship of God. So Antiochus in the end doesn't win. Now, all that's like a nice history lesson. For those of you who like to nerd out on the Bible, it's your Sunday! Those of you who are like, okay, I, I got a job, I got bills, I got kids, I got, I got, I got a life, Jose, and, and uh, can you help me with like some of that stuff? Yes. Let's ask the all-important question. When I read the Bible, I want to say to myself, what is it saying? What does that mean? But then the big question is, so what? Like, so what? All right, great. Now we know that God speaks, and you look at history, it seems to pan out. Well, there are lots of implications. All I want to do is just look at two that have to do with your everyday and my everyday real life. Write these down. When I look at Daniel 8, there's lots of things you could think about. I want us to focus on two. The first is this. Write it down. There are seen and unseen powers at work. I think that because we're, we're swimming in an age that, that highlights and emphasizes the tangible the knowable, the seeable, the observable, the quantifiable, we forget in our following Jesus and trying to live faithful to him that there are other powers at work. Let's go back to the illustration. Air is moving right now. It's happening. It's real. We just don't always see it. When we feel the effects of it, then we're like, whoa, that was strong. I don't know if yesterday afternoon you just felt at least where we live, there's a huge tree that kind of overlooks our house. It's a couple houses down, but it's huge. 
And the wind was blowing so hard. I went and looked outside thinking, yeah, we could get smashed right now. That, that tree was just like whipping down like, Lord, strengthen those roots or give me the wisdom to run. Like, you know, just the wind, the wind. Not, but the, the wind is always around. It's not till I see something moving that I realize an unseen force is moving something that is seen. Are you with me? There are unseen powers at play. And when it comes to following Jesus, Daniel 8 reminds us that the human kingdoms aren't the only kingdoms at work. And there's an interplay in the vision, especially when it comes to the part that I think is about Antiochus, about this human king running up against the prince of princes. In other words, there are evil powers at play against God. There's a battle and we're going to see it when we get to chapter 10. There's a battle that we don't even see, and it's very real. And the, the human kingdoms don't think about that, but you and I are following Jesus the King. And so my word for you today is not to get freaked out, but to remember that in what you're going through, there are human factors at work. So, so you, you, know, you got your morning coffee, and, and you, you go up to get a drink, and you burn your, your tongue, you burn your mouth. It, I mean, it happens to the best of us, right? That was not demonic forces at play. You just drank too quick. It's an Americano, people. That thing's boiling. Like, calm down, open the lid. When you see the steam, it says, don't drink me yet. So there are human factors at play. So I think the two extremes that we're going to look at and we're going to be careful about is like some human forces at play, they're, they're not spiritual forces at play. It's you did that and you got that. Period. You drank the Americano, you got the mouth burn, give it a few days, drink a cold brew, everything will be all right. Okay? But I think the other extreme is to deny the fact that there are, are real powers at play. You say, well, I don't know about all that stuff. Let's look at Jesus. Mark 1, 34. Just write it down and look at the whole context of the story. But the beginning of Mark starts this way. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Okay, it's hard to wrestle with that one, isn't it? So Jesus heals people and he also drove out demons. Healing is a very human thing. He took human conditions. Someone was lame and he brought strength to their legs. Someone was blind and he brought sight to their eyes. He heals people. Lazarus is dead and in the tomb and stinks. And he says, Lazarus, come on out. It's breakfast time. He comes out. He eats. Everyone's freaked out. But it also says that he, he drove out demons. Now here's, let's get weirder. Read through the gospel. Sometimes it's the casting out of the demon and then the person's healed. That's a mind blow. Other times, it just says he healed. Sometimes he forgave their sin and healed them and said, don't sin anymore. Okay. So we can't just say everything physical is spiritual behind it. Are you with me? Sometimes there's physical things at play. Sometimes there's unseen powers at work. And we get enough to get confused or encouraged, and I just want to encourage you, angels, demons, God, devil, eternity with God, eternity apart from God, 100% real, you just don't see it. And I don't see it. And so we need to remember we're living in a world with lots of forces at play, and here's the encouraging part. We belong to Jesus. 
That's why Daniel doesn't have to be freaked out when he gets this revelation, although it did, it was so overwhelming, he laid down for a couple of days, took a long weekend and said, whew, this is weird. This is, God, you're at work. But in the end, what you see of Daniel's life, he continues to serve the king. He doesn't get, he doesn't get caught up in a cave somewhere. He doesn't get freaked out. He doesn't escape. He gets up. That was a weird vision. And he continues to do his job. And in the same way, we don't have to be overly disturbed by the unseen forces at play because God knows all the forces at play and he's bigger than all of them. And he's the king. Second thing I want us to remember, because when you talk about evil and demons and powers, that could spook some people. The second thing is we don't have to live in fear. You and I don't have to live in fear. That's not the call. You don't see it in a day or you shouldn't see it in your own life. Because God is at work. When the world seems out of control, God is in control. And I don't have to uh, move the unseen. That's what God does. What I need to do is stay in alignment with God, who's the master of all powers, seen and unseen. And so what do I, what do, I do with all of this? I think Ephesians 6 uh, Paul, one of the early Jesus followers who recognizes their seen and unseen. Look at what he tells the church. For our struggle here at 26 West in Hillsborough in 2019 is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, it's against the authorities, it's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where our battle is. Therefore, okay, in light of seen and unseen real things, therefore, Cry, you know, cry or crawl under your, your blanket and get stressed out. No. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. I love the notice. He, he's not saying go to the Christian bookstore, which they're no longer existing. They're not all online. Like go, you know, order, order your armor and before you pray, you know, put on the, the, the armor. If you want to do that, if that helps you, go for it. I think it's completely unnecessary though. No, don't, don't, don't do that. It's a metaphor. There's a real battle. Oh, in the battle, God has given us what we need. So when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, uh, done everything to stand, stand firm then. Do you notice the repeated word? You may be able to stand. And after you've done everything to stand and stand firm. They had no highlighter pens. They had no cool fonts. They repeated themselves. In the light of the real seen and unseen factors at play, what am I called to do? Stand. Daniel, what does he do? He stands his ground. He stands firm. He listens to God. And so there are things that I don't understand at work. But let me tell you, when I think about what God is doing in this world, I'm not afraid of them. Why? I have God and his armor. Don't think of God's armor as separated from him. I have God who's with me. I have Jesus who defeated the power of death. Okay, so these spiritual forces, Jesus said it. The, there's a thief who's come to steal and kill and destroy. I've come to give you what? Life and life to the full. Jesus is aware of it. There's an enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come to give you life. And then, then Jesus goes on to say all of these metaphors. You want to know how to, how to have life? I'm the gate. So if you want to enter into the place of peace, you enter in through me. I'm the good shepherd. He uses all these metaphors. So if you're a sheep, an animal who doesn't know what to do, what do you need? You need the one to guide you. So he's the gate. He's the shepherd. He's all of these things. The visuals help us to see 
I, as a Jesus follower, have no reason to fear the unseen because greater is he who lives inside of me than any opposing force in the world. And I tell you, friends, in this chaotic world that we live in, we need to recognize that there is a battle going on. If you're not following Jesus, it's a battle to keep you from following him. It's a real battle. It's a real enemy who wants to steal the truth from your eyes, who wants to blind you to what God's doing, who wants to tell you, you can make it. You don't need all this religious hocus pocus. You can make it. I don't know if there's a God anyway. Just go with what you see. The enemies at work. The enemies at work amongst those who follow Jesus to tell you you're not good enough. Oh, you messed up. I mean, yeah, God loves you, but until you measure up, you, you, there's a real enemy who wants to steal your joy and to steal your peace. There are unseen powers at work. What do we do when the battle seems fierce? I think a couple of things that we need to do. Well, the first is there in Ephesians. We just need to stand our ground. And God's giving you the ability to stand. You say, well, I'm, I'm feeling weak. That's okay. God will give you the ability to stand. And if you read the rest of Ephesians 6, there are these pictures that show us what standing is like. And all of them are connected to the presence of God. All of them. So they're not these like random things, but we need a belt that's just covered. We need to be centered on truth, right? We need to be covered with God's rightness. We need, to, we need to know that we've been made right in him, and we need to live into the right. We feel attacked. We feel helpless. We feel hopeless when we forget that God has made us right so that we can live right. And when he's made us right and we choose to live in the wrong, of course we feel weak and powerless. He's given us the shield of faith. He's given us the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like all of these, these metaphors, these Daniel-like pictures point to the presence of God. Friend, if you are in Jesus, God is with you. Maybe you just need to hear it again and again and again. God is with you and God is for you and God is in the battle. And Daniel is not asked to pass on to his friends, hey, future leaders, this is how you can gain victory. No, God's gonna do the work. You just stand firm in God and God will fight the battle for you. Two things I'm asking, and as I was praying this morning, just praying and thinking for you, I'm gonna ask that God would open our eyes. God, would you open our eyes to see what you're doing? Open our eyes. There may be dimensions of your life you don't even realize that this is, hear me, satanic attack, demonic influence. There may be things going on in your world. You, you know, you may even be opening the door to them. You may be actively participating in something that is really an unseen evil power, but you, by whatever you're doing or not doing, you're giving entry for this negative evil to come in your world, and you're wondering, why does everything seem so off? There are real unseen powers at work. We don't need to be afraid, but we need God to open our eyes. But we have no reason to fear because Jesus is alive, isn't he? We have no reason. I'm not afraid. I'm not, now, I'm not sticking my finger up at demonic powers and saying, come on, let's fight. That's foolishness. But I am saying, God, fight my battles and stand with me in this battle. Ask God that he would open our eyes. The second thing I'm going to ask God for is wisdom, the wisdom on how to stand firm. What is God going to invite you to do or avoid so that you would be firmly rooted in the presence of God and out of that, doesn't mean we don't go through the battles. Doesn't mean we're not affected by the battles, but we don't succumb to the battles and we're not defeated by the battles. How do we stand 
confirm by listening to God and doing what he says. Let's get super practical. So are you listening to God? And then are you doing what he says? I think that's the great place to start. Well, why don't you stand on your feet? I want to pray over you because whenever we talk about things like this, I don't think this is a joke. Uh, We don't have to cower in fear, but this also isn't lighthearted. But I want to pray God this week that he would open our eyes, not just mine, our eyes to see what he's doing and that he would open our ears to hear what he's saying so that we can listen to what he says and do what he says. It's really that uncomplicated. Lord, we come this morning and we want, we want like Daniel to be ready to hear from you so that we can stand firm in our day, in our age, at our job, in our home, where we live, uh, in, in the place and space that you put us. God, we wanna, we wanna be ever hearing what you're saying so that we can do what you told us to do. Lord, I thank you that you fight my battle for me, that you're the great victor, Jesus, that your death and resurrection changes everything and death and the power of hell has no power over you. And so now I will overcome and I can overcome and I will see you make me an overcomer because of what you, Lord Jesus, are doing in and through me. God, now we pray that as we worship you, you'll push back the darkness. God, the unseen powers that are working against us, even as we lift up a sacrifice of praise and worship to you, that you'll push those things away and we'll experience your peace and your presence as your people in this church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And if you're with me on that, let's just say amen together. Amen. Let's worship Jesus because he's worthy of our prayer.